Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. What a wonderful opportunity we have to come together and worship and enjoy such wonderful singing and offer that up as a gift to God. How blessed we are. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles to James, the second chapter, in just a moment, we'll begin there and looking at several different passages tonight. Uh, Most of those will be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, you may want to be turning there also as we might refer to other passages. We're so thankful that uh, 50 of you, more than 50 of you, have returned your forms, your SOS forms today. And what an encouragement that is. Make sure that for the rest that have procrastinated a little bit, be working on getting those in so that we can uh, accomplish the greatest good together for the glory of God. Keep in mind, if you have completed an SOS in the past, even if you have come into this congregation and it's been in the last five or six months even, uh, sorry for the inconvenience, but we really need that again because the database is going to be wiped clean and, and we'll start again. And so please be sure and go ahead and fill that out. Also, we are so thankful that uh, the 40 or plus individuals that are part of the preteen retreat, that you're back home safely. We missed you this morning. Hear that it was a tremendous weekend, and we appreciate each of the adults that had a part of that and each of the leaders, and you can read more in the bulletin and see uh, more specifics of individuals. But we're so thankful for ones that invest their time and their energy into our youth, and especially this particular age group of our youth. What a blessing it is for them to have an opportunity uh, to have a weekend that will make a spiritual impact upon their life. Of course, they're easy to spot tonight, standing out in orange across the uh, the way. Also, let's keep in our prayers uh, today and over the next few days. Dennis Buchanan's mother is not doing very well at all, and the doctors uh, have have told them that it will probably be very soon for her passing. And so, let's remember uh, her. Let's remember Dennis and his family. We love them much. Uh, He is here tonight for worship, and he's going back to the hospital after that. And let's remember to do all we can support them during this time. Several years ago, we did it often, and we haven't done it as much recently. And so tonight, I thought this would be a good time to do this again. Sunday nights, occasionally, we do lessons on questions you ask. There's been a long list of questions that have been given to me about death and questions that probably several would have the same concerns and definitely a topic that all of us should think about because that's definitely a passage that we all shall take unless we live to the second coming of Jesus. Now, it's interesting that we can have words that we speak of so often and when we speak of them, it seems that everyone knows exactly what we're speaking about. But yet, when we try to define those same words, it seems that we come up short. The words life and death seem easy to explain. They seem easy to define until we start putting them in a context that not only do they apply to how we use them of a secular nature, but they also apply to how we use them in a spiritual nature. For example, if we looked up the word death in in a dictionary, the definition might look like this. Death is the act of dying. Well, that's the way dictionaries work, isn't it? Not really a lot of help there. But then notice the next part. Termination of life. Well, someone says, well, yes, that's, that's the definition of death, the termination of life. But does that apply spiritually? If we want to say it's the termination of physical life, I think the Bible would definitely say, yes, that's the case. But if we think about life itself, in other words, are you a body or are you a soul? Are you a soul in a body or are you a body with a soul? Well, from a Christian aspect, we'd have to believe that we are a soul that lives in a body. And so therefore, because we experience physical death does not mean that we cease to exist. 
And so therefore, the secular definition doesn't fit in its fullness. So let's take a few minutes tonight and let's see what the Scripture says about death. When we look in James, the second chapter in verse 26, this is that great chapter of faith and works. And so concluding this chapter of faith and works, we read this as an illustration of faith and works. For as the body without the spirit is dead. You see, that's what the Lord would say is a definition of death. The body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead. Now let's turn back and let's see some examples of how this definition is used at the passing of individuals. Let's look at Genesis the 25th chapter and verse 8. In Genesis the 25th chapter, Sarah has already died a few chapters earlier. And now we read about Abraham. And some of you that may be reading from the old King James, it's even easier to understand in the old King James. But I'm reading from the new King James. And he says in verse 8, Then Abraham breathed his last and died. In a good old age, the old man full of years and gathered to his people. Now, it's interesting that after he died, he gathered to his people. That tells us he didn't cease to exist. And the old King James, instead of saying he breathed his last, that makes it just sound like, well, he took his last breath and he died. That's probably not what the writer intended here. It was the idea of the old King James. He gave up the ghost. In other words, literally his ghost, his spirit departed from him. And we know that the definition of death is when our spirit departs from the body. And so his spirit departed from him and he died and he gathered with his people. Let's see another example of this in Genesis, the 35th chapter. In Genesis, the 35th chapter and verse 18, we have the death of Rachel as she had given birth to her son, Benjamin. And in verse 18, it says, and so it was as her soul was departing. And then in parentheses, for she died. So you see there again is a perfect scriptural definition of death as it relates to other passages like James 2. There it is. Her soul was departing from her and so she died. Now, if you would turn with me to 1 Kings the 17th chapter. 1 Kings the 17th chapter is it's kind of neat because we see the same thing in reverse here. And in 1 Kings, the 17th chapter, we have Elijah that's going to revive the widow's son. In other words, if we said he died, well, we know already what it means that he died. It means that his spirit has left his physical body. So what is it going to mean if he is resurrected from this death, if he has given life again, if you will? Let's read verse 22, and we're in 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah... And the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. And so there we see how one was given life again. Naturally, the soul had to return. When the soul departed, it was death. When the soul returned, it was life. One of the songs that we uh, sung, that was such a beautiful song. If you want to be turning to Psalm 90, we're going to read from there in just a moment. We've read, we have sung many beautiful songs tonight about this passage of death and about the hope that's offered. Well, in Psalms, the 90th chapter, we have a chapter here that tells us about the eternal aspect of God and really about the, the temporary aspect of man as is his life on this earth. But yet, because man stops living on this earth does not mean that he stops living. 
In other words, when we die on this earth, doesn't mean that we cease to exist. And so we read this beautiful passage in verse 10, Psalm 90, that describes life on this earth, but then it describes life after this earth, at least the transportation of that or the transporting from here. Look at verse 10. He says, the days of our life are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Life is going to be cut off. Oh, you must mean that the spirit, the soul leaves the body. Yes. Well, what's going to happen? It flies away. And we just sung about that passage just a moment ago. And then finally, on this particular topic, by way of introduction, let's look to Acts, the seventh chapter. You remember Acts, the seventh chapter is where Stephen preached his powerful sermon. And as a matter of fact, it enraged the people that did not want to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. And so they stoned him. They put him to death. Now we already know what that means if they put him to death. We see here Stephen's understanding of death. In other words, he wasn't wondering, well, if they stone me, is everything over? Is it completely through? No. Notice as we read verse 59 here in Acts the uh, seventh chapter. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He was ready to die physically because he knew that he was going to continue to live with Jesus. He was ready for that. It wasn't an end of all ends. Yes, it is an end of life on this earth. But it is not the end of the Spirit. It's not the end of our life. It's not the end of existence. And so, question one that was submitted. Now that we have a good biblical definition of death, let's, let's address at least three of these questions tonight. Immediately after we die, where does our soul go? Now, as we begin answering some of these, let's be real fair as we begin here. We can ask more questions and have more curiosity about life after death than what we'll ever be able to answer on this side. I think most of us understand that. And so, because we're studying it tonight, and perhaps we'll study it again at least one more Sunday night, does not mean that we'll answer all the things that we've wondered. We won't. That's just not told to us. But the beautiful thing is that so many things can be told to us. And because a God that loves us, a God we can trust, a God that has our best interest in mind, the things that we don't know, we can be at peace about. Because God's going to take care of us. And so this question, immediately after we die, where does our soul go? Luke, the 16th chapter. Luke, the 16th chapter, is one of the greatest stories that is told that helps us to understand immediately what happens after one dies. In Luke, the 16th chapter, beginning verse 19, we read about the rich man and then we read about Lazarus. But we read in 22 and 23 about their death and about two destinations. Verse 22, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. There we immediately identify where the soul goes. One of two places. For those that are saved, the soul is at a place of comfort. For those that are lost, The soul was immediately at a place of punishment. Let's go to the second question. 
Question number two. Do we see God then? Let's go to some scriptures and see if those that were writing by inspiration, if they believed that they would see God after their death. We go back to Acts the 7th chapter. In Acts the 7th chapter... When we look back in verse 55, Stephen looks up into the heavens and in 55, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And it was then that he said in 59, what we read just a moment ago, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, it seems to be the implication there. That he looked up and saw Jesus. Wait, we know that. That's not the implication. It's a fact. He looked up and saw Jesus on the right hand throne of God. And the implication here is that he believed that when he died, he was going to be with Jesus. He was speaking to Jesus. Receive my spirit. Let's look at other authors that spoke on this. Let's go to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. In 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. And by the way, if this topic interest you, the topic of life after death, we're going to look at several chapters tonight that we will not have time to look at everything in this chapter. So you may want to go back and jot down Luke 16 and read the whole chapter. This is another one. You may want to read 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, especially the first 11 verses. There's a lot that tells us about this topic in this chapter, but we're going to read verse 6, 7, and 8 as we consider whether or not one sees God at this point. In verse 6, 7, and 8, He says, and of course, at this time, we're talking about those that are saved. Those that are saved, he says, so we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, now that's what you and I today would call life on earth. We're at home in the body. We are absent from the Lord. In other words, the Spirit hasn't gone to be with the Lord yet. So all of us here are physically alive. We are separated from Jesus in the sense that our soul is not with Him at this time. And then seven, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Notice eight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body. Now that's what we would call death. How many of us can say, I'm confident, I'm I'm glad to be able to say that one day I'm going to die. Because that's when, notice the rest of this, when we are absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So Stephen spoke and he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Paul wrote and said... Right now, as long as I'm alive, there's kind of a negative aspect of that. What is it, Paul? As long as I'm alive, I am separated from my Lord Jesus. Well, Paul, what's the benefit of dying? He says, the benefit of having my spirit separate from my body is I'm going to be with my Lord Jesus. Look with me, if you will, to one more passage on this topic. Philippians, the first chapter. Philippians, the first chapter. Let's read what Paul had to say beginning at verse 21. And we'll read 21 through 24. Really saying very similar instructions to what we just read in Corinthians. But notice this in Philippians 1 and 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, note what he's saying there. If he's going to live, he wants his life while he is in this body to be a benefit to Christ. So when he says to live is Christ, in other words, his body is going to be in service to Christ. It's going to bring glory to Christ. He's going to help magnify the body, multiply the body as he spreads the gospel to others. So verse 22, but if I live on in the flesh, notice that's living on this earth, living on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart. What does that mean? Death. The spirit leaving the body. I have a desire to die, he's saying. Why? 
Because then he says, and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Now, for just a moment, let's take a time out from this study. And this is a valuable application we can quickly make. Friends, can we say that as long as we remain in this body, it's going to be great for the cause of Christ? What a beautiful blessing that is. And the truth is, that's the only way we can enjoy the rest of this verse. To be able to say, but when I do die, it's really going to be better for me. Because I'm going to be with Christ. Think of the beauty of that. As long as I am in my body, it's going to be a blessing to Christ. When my soul leaves my body, it's going to be a blessing to me. And that ought to be the goal for every one of us. is to use our life in this body to magnify and to glorify Christ so that it will be our blessing when we breathe our last, when we give up the ghost, so to speak. Let's look at a third question. A third question, if you want to be turning back to Luke 16 again, that same chapter we read from earlier. Will judgment immediately follow death, or is there a time period until we are judged? Sounds like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth, but the answer to that is yes and yes. There is a sense. Make sure you stay up on this so that we're not uh, teaching anything that's not accurate here. Listen. There is a sense in which judgment takes place immediately, but that is not the final day of judgment, the great and final day of judgment. But when you think about it, the word judgment means divide. Well, we've already read in Luke, the 16th chapter, that those that died in a right relationship with God were separated from those that died not in a right relationship with God. And so there is a sense of a divide. There is a sense of a separation immediately. But what I want you to point out, what I I want us to see, we've already read verse 22 and 23. You remember there in Luke 16, it's when the Lazarus died and he was in Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and he was in torment. But I want you to notice, this is important to tie together. Someone might say, but now wait a minute, maybe that was death in the end some sort. Maybe this was when Jesus came again. No, we need to make sure that we're aware of verse 27 and 28. Then he said, this is the rich man speaking, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. You see, the point that I want to make sure that we understand is that when this story was taking place, life on earth was continuing. In other words, he was still concerned about brethren that he had, physical flesh and blood brothers that he had back on this earth. So here he was separated from the one that had died with a good relationship with God. They're separated and life is continuing on this earth. Let's see another passage that, two passages that kind of give us insight to both of these. If you would look to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. This is a passage we've not looked at much tonight. Probably in the second lesson that we'll do on this series, we'll look more into this. But if you want to do some study in the meantime... 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 13, 18 to the end of the chapter, is, there's a lot of information about after death here that's very valuable. We're just going to pick out one aspect of it right now in verse 14. <clears throat> He's already talked in 13 about those who fall asleep, speaking of death. 
uh, and especially those who fall asleep in Jesus. In other words, their relationship is right with God. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. Remember, physical death is that separation of the Spirit. We've already read that, that uh, angels carried Lazarus into Abraham's bosom. In other words, there's that place of comfort. We've already seen individuals dying saying, I'm going to be with Jesus. And now there will be, which we'll read about in just a moment, that great and final day of judgment. Now tonight we're not going to have time to get into this passage. But 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that when there is that resurrection, that there'll be a change in our bodies. And so when he says, I'm bringing them back with me, we know he's not bringing back the physical bodies because the physical bodies are in the grave and those are the bodies that are going to resurrect on that great and final day. Well, what is he bringing back? The only thing that he can bring back is them. Not their body, he's bringing back their soul. In other words, where were they? They were somewhere where God is going to bring them back when Christ comes again. Now let's put this... And lay this thought down beside 2 Peter. Look in 2 Peter, the second chapter. In 2 Peter, the second chapter, we see others that are waiting for the day of judgment. In other words, these others are waiting for the great and final day of judgment. And Jesus is going to bring them back. But where are the others that are waiting for this great and final day of judgment? Look at verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment... For the day of judgment. Do you get that? Who's he speaking about? The unjust, those that died lost. What are they waiting? They are reserved. Reserved for what? The day of judgment. What are they experiencing right now? They're reserved in punishment for the day of judgment. And so there we see that side. What did we just read? We read about others that Jesus would bring back. And so at death, there's already a great divide. In other words, using that term, there's already a judgment that has been made. But there definitely will be that great and final day of judgment. As we work towards the end of this lesson, turn with me, if we will, to Matthew 25, and let's see a glimpse of that final day of judgment. In Matthew 25, in Matthew 25, we'll read it verse 31. I'm getting excited looking at my watch. I can't believe we're making this good a time. Okay, uh... Uh, when I was writing this lesson, I thought, oh boy, they're not going to like this. It's going to be long. We're going to make it here. We're going to make it. All right. Let's look. Let's look at verse 31 and, and 32. And then let's see the difference here. First, we have a picture of the day of judgment. See in 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels. And by the way, 1 Thessalonians 4 would teach us He's not coming to this earth. He's coming uh, and, and he's, going, he's not coming to the earth. He's above the earth. But here we have in 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him. Try to imagine this scene. All the holy angels are with Him. Then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate. That means judgment. He'll divide. He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And we see in 33, the sheep are on the right hand, the goats are on the left hand. Now notice what He's going to say. This is that great and final day of judgment. Notice what He's going to say to those on the right. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, 
Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. But notice what he says in 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. Most of the time when we speak of the day of judgment, that's the day that we're referring to. There is a type of judgment that takes place before that, but that's the great and final day of judgment. When we read over in 1 Corinthians 15, we'll see that Jesus will deliver those that He's divided on the right. He will deliver them to the Father. So it's a beautiful thought. Friends, what a blessing we have to know that it doesn't all end here. To know that this is just one little short part of our existence and that what really is out before us is beyond our comprehension. It's so great. We're talking about something tonight that's exciting. Something that we live for and we even die for. John Todd lived back in the early 1800s and was a minister. At the age of six, both of his parents died. An aunt that lived at a distance wrote a note telling those that were caring for him on that short-term basis that she was his aunt and tell him that she would give him a good home and that she would be a loving mother to him. When the day was the appointed time that she would come for him, that transportation was fixed. He grew up with her. He loved her dearly and she was good to him. Many decades passed and she was nearing her death. Away, off in ministry, she wrote him a letter. Talked about her physical condition and talked about her fear of death. He wrote her back a letter and said to his aunt, words like this. It's been 35 years ago since I stood on the front porch and I waited for your arrival after my parents died. I have to tell you that I was very scared, tears and anxiety... And I was disappointed when it wasn't you that came that day. You sent your servant man, Caesar. He put me on the back of a horse and I clutched tightly to him for that long journey. I was scared and I cried and night fell. As we went through the woods, I finally found the strength to ask him, do you think she'll stay up or do you think she'll go to bed without me? He assured me, you'll be awake And when we clear these woods, you're going to see an open meadow. And on the other side of the woods, you're going to see a light on in the little cottage. He said, I'll never forget when we rode up. You wrapped your arms around me. And you talked sweetly to me. You set me in front of a warm heart and a warm supper before me. You took me up to the bed. You spoke gently to me. And you let me say my prayers. And then you stayed there until I fell asleep. He said, you offered me family and a good home. One of these days, aunt, God is going to do the same for you. Do not fear the journey. Do not fear the summons. Do not fear the messenger of death. For he's only going to take you on a journey to a father 
who will give you a good family. Love and care for an eternity. Friends, I can't explain to you how wonderful it's going to be. But I can promise you it's going to be more joy and more love and more peace than we've ever experienced. More family, more happiness, more beautiful singing, more wonderful praise, more laughter. We just can't comprehend it all now. But what a blessing to say that when this physical body exists no more, I've not really died. I'm doing well. I'm doing far better than I've ever done. That's the hope of a Christian. If you've never been baptized into Christ, I'd urge you to have that hope tonight. If you have, but yet you've lost that hope and sin is separated, I urge you to repent of that tonight. If we can help you in any way, come.